Good morning. Open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, or excuse me, verse 1. I, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians 4, let me just make three brief comments. First of all, uh, thank you for inviting me, and thank you for your support of Gateway Seminary through the cooperative program. Uh, your church has been giving through the cooperative program over the decades, and some of those resources have flowed to California and the West, where God has raised up a significant seminary to do the work of Southern Baptists there. We would not have been able to do that with just the resources of the West. Thank you for your part in that as a part of the larger Southern Baptist Convention. And then second, thank you specifically to your church for sending David Crosby to us as one of our trustees. He's been on our board for a few years and has done a remarkable job of bringing his wisdom and insight to our task. Thank you for allowing, and more than allowing, encouraging him to have a national leadership responsibility at our school. And then third, some of you may be saying, Gateway Seminary, I've never heard of that. Well, you may have heard of Golden Gate Seminary. Uh, for many years, we were Golden Gate Seminary, but two years ago, we completed a massive transition. We moved our primary campus 400 miles, renamed ourselves Gateway Seminary, and launched a new era of ministry across the West. Uh, the book that includes that story has just come out called Leading Major Change in Your Ministry. Uh, it's in ebook, audiobook, and regular book format. If you want to know the story of our school's transition, you can check that out. So thank you for all those things that you've done for us, and thank you for the privilege of being here this morning to preach a little bit about leadership. There are so many books, seminars, conferences, and classes about leadership, it's hard to know where to start and end in a brief message to try to present the core issues of Christian leadership, but that's what I'm going to try to do today from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now leadership, uh, by almost any definition, by almost any source, includes the idea of influence. And so this morning, you may know that you're a leader. You may say, well, I'm a pastor, or I'm a deacon, or I'm a Sunday school teacher. Or you may say, uh, I'm a manager, or a, a, an owner, or a responsible person in my company. Or you may say, well, I, I'm a father, or, or a mother, and, and you know that you're a leader. But some of you may be thinking, well, I'm, I'm really not a leader. And frankly, some of you may not have a broad leadership responsibility, but if you go to the core of the definition, influence then you may discover that you are, in some context, looked to as the leader. And so today, on one level, I'm speaking to all of you about what it means to be a better Christian leader. And then, the backdrop of these messages these next few weeks is also the, the search you're about to launch that will lead you to your next senior pastor. That is the most significant decision any church can make, choosing who will lead, who will be the ultimate leader, the, the, the chief leader, the lead pastor. And so perhaps some of what I'm going to say today will help set the stage for that search as well and give you some clarity on the kind of person you need to come and provide leadership here in your church. So I'm speaking to all of you who have influence, including those of you who recognize yourselves as leaders, and I'm speaking to all of you about the responsibility you have to be a part of this process of coming to get the right kind of person to be your leader. So core issues from, about Christian leadership, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. A person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. 
In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself. But I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. Now this is one of the unique passages of Scripture in the Bible because it's written to and from and for leaders. We know that because the pronouns in Scripture matter. So look with me in the first verse. It says, a person, a person should think of us. Paul was a leader. He had a team of leaders around him, and in the plural he's saying, this is how we want you to think of us. This is how leaders ought to be thought of, and this is what leaders ought to remember about their responsibility. So this passage is unique in that it speaks specifically to the issue of what it means to be a Christian leader. The first thing it says then is this, Christian leaders have two primary responsibilities, and they're found in the first verse. It says, a person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. Now, before I go on, I want to substitute a word into this text and stick it in your minds. The word manager is a kind of a cold word in American culture. Instead, I want you to put the word steward in your mind in the text. In fact, if you're using the English Standard Version of the Bible this morning, you'll see that it uses the word steward instead of the word manager. Now, there's really no debate or discussion or argument about using either one of these words in a good Bible translation. They essentially both mean the same thing in their context. But in our context, steward, particularly in a Christian context, carries with it a different concept or idea than the word manager, which is something we think of as being rather corporate in American culture. So I want you to see these two core responsibilities, of, or these two primary responsibilities of Christian leaders. We are servants of Christ and stewards of the gospel. Would you say those phrases with me? Stewards of Christ, stewards of the gospel. Again, stewards of Christ, stewards of the gospel. Now, you got to do better than this. Come on now, here we go. Stewards of Christ. You got it right and I got it wrong. Thank you very much. You got it. These are the two primary responsibilities of Christian leaders. We are servants of Christ, and we are stewards of the gospel. Now, what does this mean? Well, it means that we have one person that we're primary, primarily serving, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to talk about this more later in the message, but it's important to establish now that Christian leaders may express their service to Jesus by serving others or by serving organizations or by serving missions. And we talk about all three of those in the context of what it means to walk out the responsibility of Christian leadership. But let's never lose sight of this overarching reality. We serve a person. We serve Jesus Christ. And as an expression of that service, we do these other acts of service which are visible expressions of our service to Him. Are you tracking with me this morning? We serve Jesus Christ. But then second of all, and perhaps a little more puzzling to you, we are stewards of the gospel. Now what does that mean? Well, let's think about it in, in terms of how we use the word stewardship in relationship to money in church context. We teach on money and we say we're stewards, which means 
We, have, we receive which is not ours, and we use it for the benefit of the owner. That's what a steward does. They receive that which is not theirs, and they use it for the benefit of the owner. And we say that's what we do with our money. We receive that which is not ours, it comes from God, and we use that which is His to accomplish His purposes, meaning we steward or manage or use His money appropriately. Everyone with me on the concept of stewardship as it relates to money? Now bring the same idea into this text as it relates to the gospel. We steward the gospel. Now remember, the gospel is not yours. It belongs to and came from God, but you've received it into your life, and now you have the opportunity and the responsibility to make the most impact possible with the gospel. You're a steward of the gospel. And so leaders have these two core res- primary responsibilities. They serve Jesus Christ, and they steward his gospel. Now a little bit more about that. The word serve really carries with it the idea in outside, or outside the Bible of being an under rower or a sword bearer, a sword bearer or a shield bearer. What does that mean? Well, in the literature outside the Bible, this word servant would be used to describe the person down below in the boat stroking on those oars, not the captain up on top looking out over the horizon. The word is used to describe the shield bearer or the armor bearer who'd come alongside the warrior and support him as he was in the arena getting the bat or accomplishing the battle and getting the accolades. So leaders, we serve Jesus Christ. We're under rowers. He's the captain. We're sword bearers. He's in the arena getting the accolades. Service means we take a position that we, that we magnify Jesus and what he's doing in our world, we magnify Jesus and what he's doing in our lives, and we place ourselves in positions of support and service to him. And then stewardship simply means that we then take the gospel he's given us and say, we're going to make the best and most impact possible with this gospel. Now this is tricky. How do you evaluate whether you're making the most impact possible with the gospel? Well, It can be hard, but just because it's hard doesn't mean you don't have the sober responsibility to do a self-evaluation from time to time, both as a leader and as a Christian, and ask yourself, am I doing the most possible with the gifts and opportunities and resources I have to steward the gospel or to make the most impact possible with the gospel? Now, the reason I say it's hard can be illustrated by a recent conversation I had. I recently had a conversation with uh, uh, two International Mission Board missionaries, graduates of Gateway Seminary, who've been on the field in their present location for 12 years. And in that setting, they've seen just a double handful, if you will, of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, less than 10 in 12 years. They're working among a people, there's at least 500,000 of them, maybe as many as 800,000, No known believers except the ones that this missionary has connected with and introduced to Jesus Christ. This is a Muslim community that is incredibly resistant to the gospel and very resistant to Western influence. And these uh, very Anglo, very American missionaries are doing all they can to work, work into that community. So as I listen to them, they frankly had some discouragement about their progress or lack of they had made. 
But when I heard their full story, understood the strategy they were using, saw the sacrifice they were making, and the depth of commitment they had demonstrated, I gave them huge affirmation for being good stewards of the gospel. You see, stewardship of the gospel is not just about counting the numbers and saying the one who reaches the most is the most effective with, the, with stewarding the gospel. There are some places in our world where you ought to be reaching large numbers of people with the gospel because the fields are ripe and the gospel can be shared openly and people are receptive and there's no excuse for there not to be rapid and large growth of the gospel. But there are other places in our world where a good steward of the gospel will find it difficult and challenging and stewardship means slow progress but steady progress. And, de- and devoted progress and committed progress. Are you tracking with me this morning? Now you have to make your own determination about your life and your setting and your context. It's a serious question I have to ask myself from time to time. Am I serving Jesus Christ, under rowing, shield bearing, taking a lesser place that he might be magnified? And in the context of doing that, as I steward his gospel, am I making the most impact possible given the opportunity and the resources that I've been given in the setting where I've been placed to make sure the gospel is making the biggest impact possible? Leaders are expected to be models of service and stewardship of Jesus and of his gospel. And all of us have this responsibility to a degree, but we expect our leaders to be pace setters in these areas. So if you're a leader this morning, I challenge you to evaluate, am I serving Jesus and how am I doing stewarding his gospel and make the changes necessary to be more effective. The second thing this passage teaches us is that there is Christian leaders have one measure of success. Notice verse two. It says, in this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. In this regard. In what regard? Well, that refers us back to verse 1. In this regard, meaning as a servant of Christ and a steward of the gospel, it is required that they be found faithful. Now, don't tune me out because you think, oh, I've heard this sermon before. He's going to say that all that's required of us is faithfulness. Well, I am going to say that, but I'm going to define the word differently than perhaps you're accustomed to thinking of it. Before you tune me out, tune me in just to hear that distinction. Some of you equate faithfulness with endurance. Some of you equate faithfulness with endurance. So when you hear a preacher say, the ultimate standard of our success is faithfulness to serving Jesus and stewarding his gospel, you think, well, I'm here this morning, I must be good. (laughs) I've endured this long. But faithfulness is not the same as endurance. Endurance, by the way, is a good quality. Endurance means you hang in there. You don't give up. You stick with it. That's endurance. But faithfulness goes beyond endurance. Faithfulness says, I will measure my service of Jesus Christ, and I will measure my stewardship of the gospel against my gifts against my opportunities and against my setting, and I will make an honest evaluation of whether I'm really getting as much done as possible given the, the circumstances I find myself. That's faithfulness. Endurance is saying, I'm just going to hold on to the end, and that's all the Lord expects of me. Do you see the difference? Endurance is a good quality. Faithfulness is the measure of our success. I found this, uh, I, I was confronted with this a number of years ago. When I became the state executive director for the Northwest Baptist Convention, the person who preceded me 
said in his retirement, hey, if you get in a situation where you have to be in two places and I can help you, call me and I'll, I'll go for you. Well, it didn't take long for that to start happening. The work is busy and I would call on him from time to time to represent the, 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 uh, the convention in places I couldn't be when two of us couldn't be at the same location. And it happened this way one day. I had a national meeting responsibility where a significant budget area issues would be decided that would affect our work long term. It related to church planting and all that goes on with that. That was not a meeting I could miss. But at the same time, uh, there was a person in our uh, convention who was retiring from 30 years of ministry in his church. And they invited me to come. I couldn't make the meeting. So I asked my friend who'd retired and who'd known this man for most of those 30 years, I said, would you go and represent the convention and, and, uh, and be there for us and, and say a word? And he kind of looked at me with a puzzled expression and said, yeah, I, I guess I can. That wasn't what I was expecting. Normally he was really ready to serve me and really ready to serve the convention and step in at any time. And, and his response was rather tepid. Yeah, I guess I can. I said, well, if you don't want to go, I said, I, I, I don't want to put, I don't want to impose. He said, no, 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 I, I need to go. You need me to go. I'll go. Don't worry about it. I said, well, I am worrying about it. <laughs> I said, well, you seem still reluctant. What, what, what's the deal? And he said, oh, Jeff, I've known this fellow for a long time. And he's not celebrating a 30-year pastorate. He's celebrating a one-year pastorate he did 30 times. That seemed kind of harsh. So what do you mean? He said, well, Jeff, 30 years ago, I was around when he started the church where he is today. And it didn't take them very long. They grew up to about 30 to 40 people, just almost like that. And he said, in the last 30 years, in the five-mile radius around that church, 200,000 people have moved in. And the church still has 30 people. And all around it, other ministries and churches have grown and flourished, and they've stayed with their 30 people. And he said, I've always been frustrated, I've always been frustrated that we never saw happen there what could have happened with the opportunity that had been given. That was the first time I ever heard anyone articulate the difference between endurance, a man who stayed with it for 30 years, and faithfulness. Really asking yourself the hard question, in this context, are we making the most difference possible by serving Jesus and stewarding his gospel? Now, I'm not trying to say I know all about what happened in that situation, but I will tell you this, it was a sobering moment for me when I realized that just hanging in there is not enough. Listen, First Baptist, it's not just enough to get to the end of time and go to heaven and say at First Baptist Church, New Orleans, we held in there. No, you have to get to the end of time and get before the Lord and say, at First Baptist Church New Orleans, you gave us gifts and resources and opportunities and a city around us of great need, and we advanced the gospel in that location. That's what you have to be able to say. We advanced the gospel. We stewarded that gospel with everything we had as far as we could, as fast as we could, as effectively as we could. We were stewards of the gospel. That's what faithfulness is all about. It's not just hanging on, it's making a difference with the opportunity, the resources, and the gifts you've been given. Well, not only do we have two primary responsibilities and one measure of success, but you already know this part, you, read, you heard me read it, and that is Christian leaders have one ultimate evaluator of our ministry. Now, you may not realize it, but there are some humorous verses in the Bible, and this is actually one. 
Paul actually writes this section with a twinkle in his eye, a little humor in his voice. Let me see if I can help you understand it by reading it to you again. He says in verse 3, it is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, (laughs) I don't even judge myself. (laughs) And then he said, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself. Are you not finding that funny? Paul said, I am, uh, he said, I, I, I'm, it's a little important to me that I'm judged by you or by any human court. In fact, <laughs> I don't even judge myself because I'm not conscious of anything against myself. Now, we know he's saying this in a tongue-in-cheek, sort of a humorous kind of way because he's the same man who wrote in the same Bible, I'm the chief of sinners. We know he's writing here in a kind of a sarcastic way about himself. But he's making an important point. Paul says this, there are three sources of evaluation that leaders have to deal with. Number one, he said, I don't care what, he said, it's of little importance to me what you think of me, judged by you. See the phrase in verse three? Paul says this, it's of little importance to me what the church thinks of me. You, meaning the Corinthian church. Second, he said, it's of little importance to me what any human court thinks of me. Now, before you think judicial there, I I think there's a judicial overtone, but in the first century world, court was not something in a remote location in a big uh, granite and and a walnut uh, building. Court was held in the public square. I think a better translation into our culture is the court of public opinion. Does that make sense? So Paul says this, it's of little importance to me what the church thinks of me, and it's of little importance to me what, the public, what public opinion is of me. And then he said, in fact, it doesn't even really matter that much what I think about myself, because actually I think pretty good about myself. In other words, he's saying I can be easily deceived into how I evaluate myself, so I don't even put the ultimate stock there. Now, may I just put a parenthesis here? Sometimes people say, especially young leaders, well, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm just going to serve the Lord. Well, Paul doesn't say that. He says it's of little importance to me, but it is a little bit important. So leaders do have to pay attention to what they think of themselves and what the church thinks of them and what the public think of them. There's some need to pay a little bit of attention to that. But the thrust of this passage is Paul writing to say, Leaders, as you're serving Jesus and stewarding his gospel and trying to do that faithfully, be careful that you do not dictate your behavior by what the public thinks of you, by what your church thinks of you, or even what you think of yourself. Because he goes on to say the next phrase, for it is the Lord who judges me. Leaders care a little bit about what public opinion is, and they definitely care a little bit about what the church thinks. And leaders do care about how they feel about themselves. But a Christian leader cares mostly about what the Lord thinks, about their work and about their lives. And our ultimate allegiance is not to public opinion, It's not to Facebook and Twitter and 
media production or of any kind, that's not our ultimate allegiance. Our ultimate allegiance isn't even to our churches, although we love and serve and respect and want to have good relationship with church leaders, but that's not our ultimate responsibility either. And it's not even to how we feel about ourselves. Our ultimate evaluator is the Lord. I learned this lesson in a fresh way a number of years ago. My oldest son has always been the leader. Uh, when he was in the first grade, my wife and I went to our first parent-teacher conference. We sat in the little chairs at the little table, scared little parents. And the teacher said, I've taught first grade in this room for 22 years. And I've never met a young man like your son. He's the leader of our class. He'll be the leader of our school. He'll be the president of his high school graduate, or the president of the high school when he graduates. Do you know he did all of those things? Not only was he the president of a 2,000 attendance high school, but he was the starting quarterback on the football team. And so during football season, he was in the media a lot and lots of notoriety. Their team had made the state playoffs 20 consecutive seasons. His season was the 20th year that had been done. Lots of notoriety, especially when you're a 17, 18-year-old kid. You know what I'm saying. On Friday nights after the games, he and I would go home, and when all the friends would leave and everybody would go to bed, he and I would just sit up and just talk so he could kind of wind down and get to the point where he could sleep a little bit. One night, really early one morning, we were sitting there, and I said, Son, I, I really respect you. you. You've maintained your Christian commitment. You, you're, you're dealing with all this pressure and all these, this public not, notoriety, and and I know it's just high school football, and I know what you're thinking this morning. Yeah, it was just kid stuff, but when you're that age and you're a kid, it matters. You know what I'm saying? It was hard. I said, son, I really admire what you're doing and how you're handling it all. And he turned to me, and I, and I said, son, I just want to know, how do you do it? And he turned to me with, you know, kind of leaden eyes, or 1 o'clock in the morning, having played a football game and worn down, and he just said, dad, you just have to play for an audience of one. And those words went rocketing into my soul. And in that moment, my son crystallized this passage of Scripture for me. He said, in essence, Dad, it doesn't matter what the media say, and it doesn't matter what people at my school say, and it doesn't even really matter what I think. I'm just trying to play for an audience of one. I just have one evaluator. And if he's happy, if he's pleased, if he's satisfied, that's good enough for me. So I challenge you the same way this morning. It matters a little bit what the public thinks of you as a leader or what the public thinks of your leaders in your church. It matters a little bit what the church thinks. It it does. And it even matters a little bit what you think of yourself, but it mostly matters what the Lord thinks about it all. We play for an audience of one. And then finally, the passage says, Christian leaders will be rewarded for their ministry. Look at the last verse. It says, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intention of the hearts. Now, you read that verse and you automatically go to the negative if you're a typical Baptist. You say, oh, that's right, the Lord's going to get us all. Oh, man, look what it says. It says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. Everything you've ever done that nobody else knows about, the Lord's going to reveal. It's going to be there. Every dirty picture you've ever looked at, every bad word you've ever said, every little dollar you've ever stolen, every bad gossip you've ever shared, every evil thought you've ever had, it's all going to be there. 
And then you go on to the next part and it said, and he will reveal the intentions of the hearts. Oh, no, everything I've ever thought, every lustful idea, uh, every evil uh, plotting, every revenge that I've contrived, oh, it's all going to come out. Well, you can preach that, just not from this text. Shall we go on? It says, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. Listen, this passage is not about the negative. This passage is about the positive. It says that everything you've ever done that no one else knew about, and every thought and motive you've ever had that was questioned by others, every time you were right in your motives and right in your actions, the Lord doesn't miss a thing. So every time, every time there was a hungry person and you said, man, I don't have it, but you pulled out a 20 and gave it to them and nobody knew about it, the Lord knew about that. Every time you were in a situation where you were dealing with a married couple that was on the marriage was on the rocks and you spent time with them and worked with them and got them back together and nobody ever knew they even had a problem, the Lord knew you did that. Every time you went into a situation and you made a decision and people from the outside didn't know the facts and they questioned your motives and questioned your actions and, and criticized and gossiped about you, but you kept your mouth closed because it was nobody's business but you and the person who had to have the decision made. Every time you did that, the Lord looks out of heaven and says, I know what really happened. Are you tracking with me this morning? The good news is the Lord doesn't miss anything. And he says, yes. He will bring to light what is hidden and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And when he's finished doing that, what does he say? And then praise will come. There's a day to talk about judgment and accountability. But in this passage, the focus is on reward and satisfaction for a job well done. So Christian leaders this morning, you have two primary responsibilities, serve Jesus and steward his gospel. And in the context of doing that, you have a measure of success, and that is not endurance, just hanging in there, but it's faithfulness, really getting the job done. And then, in the context of leading, you have to decide where your allegiance will lie. Will it lie with public opinion or even with the church or even with what you think about yourself? Not wise. This passage says your ultimate evaluator is the Lord. And then when it's all said and done, you say, well, I worked hard. I served well. Nobody noticed. One person did. The only one that matters. And he says someday, someday, praise will come. Christian leaders, the sacrifice, the effort, the difficulty, and the task are worth it with God taking care of the reward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of speaking this morning from your word about leadership. And I pray you'll move around the room and you'll convict leaders about their responsibilities based on this text, and you'll draw them, Lord, to you for obedience and for action. And then, Lord, I also pray for this church as they move into this phase of life of searching for a new senior leader, 
that you will give them the grace to understand what your word says about leadership, and you will lead them to, to someone who personifies so much of what your word has to say, that they might find in this, uh, in the word, in, the, in your word, the direction and insight they need to evaluate and choose the kind of leader that you want them to have. Father, move around the church just now and accomplish these, these goals in this service this morning. 